Broadcasting live from the ESPN 690 and Jaron Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. Given the hand that I was dealt, bro, like, going into last year, is he healthy? I just want to finish healthy. Now it's it's like, it's like if I'm able to learn his system, like, come on, bro, I can't go out like that. My, my, my pride won't even allow me to do that. And you can talk about this, you can talk about that, you can talk about whatever. Listen, bro, there's not 32 guys better than me. Mm. Put it like that. So if you're asking me, you like, you bro, I, I'm not 32. <laughs> like, real talk. Like, I'm like, when you when you put it like that, bro, I'm not the 32 worst. Like, put, come on, man. I know who that is. You know who that is, bro? Yeah, I do. Do yeah. you think he's got a point? You think there's... Like, for instance, would another team benefit right now by having Cam Newton as their starter opposed to what they have right now? I think the short answer to that is yes. Okay. I think I have to search far and wide. I will. I will. Uh, let's do it real fast. Yeah. Well, Give me uh, somebody. Uh, the Dolphins. Panthers. Are the Dolphins better with Cam Newton than Tua? No. Obviously, there's a lot of unknown with Tua. You're going to invest in Tua. And I get. It. I know but, what yeah. you're saying. Like you're saying, like right now. I'm saying right like, now. Like go start a game. Yeah. <sighs> I don't think Cam Newton's very good right now. And you're not wrong. Uh, okay, so you take Tua. I think I'd. I think it's so marginal that I would. I I think Go I'd with ride with the upside of Tua. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking Drew Locke. I was going to say the Broncos were next. Yes. Because he's got some people around him. See, the one thing about Miami is not a lot around him. New England didn't have a ton around him, you know? Yeah. So if he goes into a good situation where there's some players now in in, in Denver. Yeah. And Drew Locke's had moments. Whew. Maybe Chicago? A, ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. I mean, would you take Mitch Trubisky right now or Cam Newton? But you know what? When you see Trubisky's numbers, though, I mean, they're not I good, know. but like... I might actually take Mitch Trubisky over Cam Newton right now, as bad as that sounds. Really? Sorry, Cam. I mean, I listen. Well, I, if you just I, say I that, the, then I'm not sure there's an answer. Yes, because Trubisky by far. What is does considered... Washington have though? I mean, do they have Smith technically right now? I guess you could say Smith or Heineke. Yeah. You'd take Cam over Heineke, wouldn't you? I would. And I mean, it was one. I game. know it was one game. Yeah. Uh, Giants. No. Giants? Not a chance. You can ask again, Giants? No. I guarantee Cam Newton. Why do you hate Daniel Jones? Hey, Cam Newton doesn't flip over <laughs> the 20-yard line and get snipered like that and actually scores a touchdown, so that much right Daniel now. Daniel Jones I don't, I don't beat care. Cam Newton in a race. I don't care how old Cam Newton is. Huh? Damn, Daniel Jones beat Cam Newton in uh, a race. Show me the Carfax. I, I'm not buying it. Show me that Carfax. Who's had a good one? No, uh, he can't run over the 20-yard line. The, but... the, the, the Panthers. <laughs> you think you think Cam Newton loses a race to, to Daniel Jones right now? I I look at the forty. I look at the forty times real quick. But what about Kuzes? While we uh, while I look at the forty times, the Carolina Panthers. No, I take Teddy Bridgewater all day over him. Okay. Wow. Didn't even hesitate. No, I don't think that's a good one. All right, I'll keep mine. I'll, I'll give you one. How about New Orleans without Breeze? No, because you got uh, what you call it, Taysom Hill. The Storm and Mormon. So you take Taysom Hill over Camp. I would yeah. take Jameis over Cam. Yeah, well, I know, but I'm just I, – I was trying to compare Cam Newton and Taysom Hill because they kind of do the same thing right now in their career. Yeah. Yeah, I would take Taysom Hill over Cam – or Jameis Winston. 40-yard uh, dash times. Here we go. 
You ready for this well, one? Cam Newton was 21 years ago. Hey, 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 just let's just let's just see real quick. All right, let's, let's see what Daniel Jones is bringing to the table here. Okay, so Daniel Jones, official time. You ready for this? Four eight two. Okay, four eight. Now keep in mind, I, I ran a four eight as well. So, and I was 270 pounds. Cam Newton, official time, four five nine. So, do you think Cam Newton lost two tenths of a second? So, two tenths. Excuse me, two tenths of a second over five years, six years, seven years, eight years, nine, years, ten years. <laughs> yes, I, I think do. so. I think so. I think Cam Newton's winning that race. I don't think so. I think man. Cam Newton wins that race nine times out of ten. I don't like. He's I think he wins quick. it nine times out of ten. I think Daniel Jones pretty quick. He ran a four. I just told you four eight two. What? what about what about Philly? What, Jalen I mean, Hurts. Did you mean? Oh well, yeah, Jalen Hurts can win a forty-yard dash right well, now. No, no, I mean Cam no, going to Philly. He's a quarterback. Oh, I don't care about that <laughs> conversation anymore. We're talking about forty-yard dashes now. No, um, no, I think you, you listen. You let go of Carson Wentz for a reason. I think your pot committed on Jalen Hurts, unless there's a plan in the draft. But I, I take Jalen Hurts right now. Hey, real quick, uh, Shaq. Yeah. AEW. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. So this has been kind of building up for a while. And it's funny because originally this is supposed to be Cody's wife. Uh, so, it'd be, you know, you, you know, Cody Rhodes is. Yes, yes I do. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then Brandy Rhodes. Oh, oh, careful. Uh, and then you got Brandy Rhodes, who is his wife. She wrestles as well. Well, it was supposed to be them taking on Shaq and this girl by the name of Jade Cargill. And by the way, you want to brag about how much you lift weights? Jade Cargill could lift you underneath the table. Hands down. Hmm. Okay. Telling you right now. So mind your P's and Q's. Okay. Well, Brandy Rhodes actually announced that she was pregnant. So it kind of threw the storyline off a little bit, it seemed. So then they got this girl by the name of Red Velvet, who is now going to be Cody Rhodes' partner. And obviously it's like Brandy's friend, you know, in the storyline. So, yeah, it's going to be Cody Rhodes uh, and Red Velvet taking on Shaq and Jade Cargill. And, you know, I, I think this match is kind of mixed with a couple of different reactions here. Like, I think the hardcore fans are kind of like, we've seen this before with celebrities, right? And they're like, you know, keep your keep these pro athletes away from my wrestling, you know, because there's there's a bunch of purists out there, let's just say. And I think in terms of purists, Brent, like AEW is the purist fandom, right? Because the WWE's got a bunch more gimmicks and things like that. AEW seems to be more of the soul of wrestling, let's just say. So the, the Shaq news is, it's a little surprising. But with that being said, I think Tony Khan's doing a smart thing here. They're going to show this match during Dynamite. So it's not going to be like a pay-per-view where you got to pay you know, a, a certain amount of money to watch this thing. This is during the regular show on Wednesdays. Now, obviously, the pressure is going to be on Shaq because we know what kind of wrestler Cody Rhodes is. Red Velvet is great in her own right. Jade Cargo, we haven't seen too much, but I assume she's going to bring the A game. It all comes down to Shaq. You know, if Shaq can actually sell this thing... Um, you know, and make it interesting, I think it's going to be a home run. If Shaq comes out there and it's, you know, there, there's some botched moves here or there, um, I think it kind of cheapens it a little bit, and it's kind of a ratings grab. So we'll see. So, But isn't Shaq awesome at this stuff? I mean, don't you think he'd be no, very like, good at it? Listen, I think Shaq, his personality, um, and don't despise, like, his work ethic's the real deal, too. So, like, I think he's going to come in here. Yeah, and he'll take it serious. And he's going to yeah. do his thing. Like, to me, it reminds me a little bit of Pat McAfee. Now, it's different body types, different personalities, all this stuff. But people were very leery of Pat McAfee when he went to NXT, right? I mean, this punter guy from the NFL. Yeah, yeah. And, like, once again, the diehard fans are like, what is this guy doing yeah, here? And it's working. Well, guess what? It worked because he was great on the microphone. Obviously, he's got his own show. If you listen to his show before, you know how eloquent of a speaker he is. But also, he showcased some surprise athleticism. So it was a home run for NXT. I feel like now uh, AEW sees Pat McAfee. It's like, all right, well, we're going to raise you Shaquille O'Neal. 
should they have – so obviously there's a TNT connection here, of right? Course. I mean, AEW's on well, TNT. Yeah, and, 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 and Shaq's cutting promos on, yeah. like, the halftime Which show and good. everything. That's good. I mean, that's yeah. the way the business works. But cross platform. Yeah. So do you think uh, – should they have reached out to Shaq or Barkley? <laughs> well, you know, and this is a great point. You know what would be the money move here was to have Barkley be, like, the manager. Oh, yeah. You know, kind of like yeah. the headpiece. I mean, you remember, you remember, like, the days of, like, Jimmy Hart and stuff like that. Yeah. Have him be the mouthpiece. Check maybe, maybe next promo. time or something. Yeah, maybe next time. But that's a – I didn't even think about that. That's a genius move. Yeah, I think that somehow working the two in now might be too much. Yeah, yeah. But that would be something. Well, that's the thing, though, Brent. I mean, listen, Shaq might be too much. So if you're going to go above – like, if you're going to go all out, then go all out and get Charles Barkley as well. Yeah. yeah. The the Should we do our show from, like, Daly's Place tomorrow? Shaq's going to be there? I mean, should we see if we get him on? I mean, I mean that would be – pretty cool i mean you're the one that said you had well, connections yeah, i mean yeah, yeah so i was so asked they to, want us to promote it well i was asked to cover it you know they, they gave me some details in the email and stuff like that thanks I, for sharing i didn't get behind well, and paid for that i don't know if we were really gonna that's true yeah. guess who's the guy who brought it up today me that, that's mr barno but yeah i mean listen I, I'm, I'm so since they didn't really pay us i'm not gonna say it's gonna be on aw wednesday night <laughs> uh march 3rd and i'm not gonna say that there'd be adhering to a strict safety precaution of only 15 percent capacity at daily's place and obviously i can't say because they haven't paid me to say it so i can't say that fans can purchase tickets at aewtix.com and i can't say they're only gonna be 20 bucks i can't say any of that Ticks. but aewtix.com I, I didn't i didn't mess ticks the... and tids i don't you're, you're freaking me out <laughs> And, and then Kuz made Settle it weird. Down, Kuz. And then Kuz made it weird. Uh, the, so I, I can't tell you any of that. And right. I also can't tell you that ahead of the show, uh, TNT, TNT at 8 p.m., um, Tony Schiavone will be joining, obviously, the pre-show, Jim Ross, Young Bucks, everybody. All right, last thing for you. Uh, 15% capacity, would they have filled that regardless, or will Shaq be a draw? I think, no, they're going to fill that regardless, okay. I believe, yeah. I don't know yeah. what the, I don't know what it's been like. Yeah, I think it's been okay. All right. But once again, I can't talk about it because we're not getting paid to say this. So We're going to go to Nashville, Tennessee. I think we're going to Nashville, Tennessee right now. I don't know where Blake Bettingfield is, but Blake, uh, have you, first of all, welcome to the show. Brent Martineau, former Jags player, Austin Lane, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. We're going to talk a lot of football, but have you ever come on a show and, and followed wrestling talk with Shaquille O'Neal, AEW, and the rest? You know, I can't say I followed uh, the wrestling talk with Shaquille O'Neal. That's a first. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Stakes have never been higher. We cover everything here, Blake. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Blake Bettingfield, are you in Nashville? You still in that? Is that where you're hanging out? I am in Nashville. I've been here 20 something years and uh, it's hard to leave. I've got kids in school here and they don't want to leave. So, uh, it's a good place to live right now. It's a good place, all but the Titans. You might know that we don't <laughs> like the Titans much. And, of course, you were only in the college scouting department with Tennessee for, oh, I don't know, like 19 years. So I, I guess I'm not supposed to say that to you. Uh, how big internally is that rivalry with the Jags? Can you feel it? You know, always. Uh, you know, I started back in 99, and that was the, the Super Bowl year for the Titans and a great year for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it was always a rivalry because of the talent that Jacksonville had back in those days it was really um you know it was really something that you knew you had to go through jacksonville to get to where you wanted in the playoffs and, and eventually the super bowl because they just had such great uh skill and talent back then there's no question about it blake bettingfield with us hey what does the you know we hear about the scouting department uh obviously there's a lot of work that goes into the draft and every team wants to build through the draft like we, we cover the nfl to know that all that stuff urban myers you know resetting the whole thing down here in jacksonville but at the sake of sounding dumb what is the 
you know, the director of college scouting? Like, what do you do day in, day out as a director of college scouting? You know, the director of college scouting, especially in the fall when the, when the college football season is going on, is, is really kind of orchestrating uh, the, the college scouts underneath him, the regional scouts, the, the other directors, and really going out and maybe canvassing the country and making sure every prospect is being looked at. The director will also go over the top and look at the top 150 to, to 200 uh, top players in the country. So he will travel as well uh, throughout the country, but mainly orchestrating kind of the other scouts, especially the area and regional scouts, and making sure that, that every player is looked at and we don't miss one. Uh, that's the fall part. The, the spring, it really amps up into kind of another area. You get involved as the director of college scouting. You get involved in free agency. You want to see the direction that the coaching staff wants to go in for the following year. Uh, leading up to draft meetings, combine, pro days, and then eventually the meetings right before the draft and, and then the draft itself. So it's a it's a 12-month job. It's, it's you know, you, when you're not on the road, and I would travel roughly 130, 135 days a year when I wasn't on the road. I was in the office and working coaches hours then. It's a, it's a fun job. I'll, I call it work, but I don't think I ever worked a day in my life because all I got to do is watch football for a living. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, Marriott points, you're probably still spending them. Uh, he's the sound director no doubt. Uh, for the Tennessee <laughs> Titans for 19 years. Uh, now his own website, uh, bettingfieldsports.com. So you're dealing with uh, – all sorts of level players now what are you, what are you exactly doing and and how are you impacting uh really the sport of football in the kind of your new gig you know i wanted to kind of uh, quit traveling and and start my own company i still have that passion to uh, to be in football i still do some consulting in the nfl with different teams on on different positions and i have started working in the college uh, environment as well. And what I've done is I, I go to different universities and help set up their recruiting departments, just like a an NFL scouting department. The, the recruiting departments on the college level have gotten so big now that um, I've got to go in, set up a grading system, evaluate the entire roster, and teach the, uh, the recruiters how to evaluate players and what to look for. And then I've gotten into the high school area as well. So what I've done there is uh, I've taken on a kind of an elite group of players and I help promote them using my contacts through 20 years in the NFL at the college level, using my contacts to help uh, get players scholarships. And I've had a lot of success with that. And I always tell players uh, players and parents, I can't get you, I can't guarantee you a scholarship. I can just guarantee that the right people are going to look at it because all those people are contacts and friends of mine from over the years of scouting. Blake, you know, when we talk about the modern NFL now, obviously the running back position in terms of draftability, you know, people always want to say, well, wait till, you know, at least the third round. The draft is so deep with running backs. Never spend a first round pick or even a second round pick on a running back. Well, if you look at your resume, I guess you would say, I mean, two guys stick out to me as guys that you kind of, I don't want to say risked it, but like Chris Johnson, for instance, first round pick, small school guy to Eastern Carolina, obviously ran the blazing 40 yard dash. And then Derrick Henry taking him in the second round. Like what went into that process? Like, do you, I guess you kind of share a little contrarian idea of you, you should take a running back in the first or second round if he's good enough. You know, I think it depends on the team, to be honest with you. It depends on the makeup of your team. At that point, when we took Chris Johnson, we really didn't have the other pieces in place on offense. And if you don't have an elite-level quarterback, if you don't have a franchise quarterback, you better have players on offense that can that can supplement that, uh, the inability or the, or the weaknesses of the quarterback that you have. And there's only a handful in the NFL every year. Uh, I think Jacksonville is going to get one this year. 
uh, in the draft, and, and they, they position themselves well to get somebody that is going to be looked at as a franchise-type quarterback, someone that can carry the other players on offense. So in Chris Johnson, for example, we didn't have the other offensive players to really stand out. We, we held him in high regard, thought he was a home-run hitter. You know, going up, growing up uh, kind of in the Titan organization, had the Eddie Georges, who were a, a consistent four yards to carry back. Big time, you know, 20, 25 carries a game. It ended up getting you 100 yards, but not someone that was a home run hitter type. But we had the quarterback in Stephen there that was. And so when, when we took Chris Johnson, we needed a home run hitter. Uh, when you go to Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry was a player that we valued so highly in the draft. Uh, when he fell to the second round, we had three second round picks. It was just a, a in my opinion, just a no brainer at that point. It was an offense that was really lacking. Uh, a number of offensive uh, talent players. It was a it was a head coach um, that Mike Malarkey that wanted to run the football, and you know we had Demarco Murray as an aging type veteran running back and needed somebody to to, to kind of carry the load once he retired. and And I think a running back is, is really important today if you can get someone that is a difference maker. Just to take one in the first round that's not a difference maker, I think, is a mistake in the draft. Uh, because there's other premium positions. I, I put the premium positions in the NFL at quarterback, left tackle, and pass rusher. If you if you look in free agency, this year alone it's going to be rare because you're going to have some pass rushers available. But for the most part, left tackles, quarterbacks, and, and pass rushers are usually not available, and you have to take those in the draft. Bettingfieldsports.com. Uh, appreciate the time. Blake Bettingfield joining us on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Talking about scouting the process and, and as you get ready for the NFL draft, obviously it's a big one here in Jacksonville. 11 picks, a uh, ton of money to spend in free agency, all the rest. But uh, before I ask you a little bit uh, about even more of the process, I got to ask you more about Derrick Henry, man. He's a Jacksonville guy, Uly High School. You know, I've covered him since he was in eighth grade. And by the way, he was like as big as he is now in eighth grade, <laughs> and, uh, which you probably know. And, I mean, it's just incredible. It, he seemingly would get bigger every year I went over there, but I didn't know how he would get any bigger. And when he went to Alabama, people really thought Nick Saban was going to turn him into a linebacker. And just said, you're not going to make it as a running back. And obviously, you know the story, National Championship Heisman Trophy. But even in the NFL, and especially with his career off to somewhat of a slow start, I think the word out of Tennessee was they might even be looking into to trading him at one time before it really kicked in and they just started giving him the ball, giving him the ball. Now look at what he's been able to do. What were the discussions like around Derek? Uh, I mean, did you think he would be – this good 2,000 yard guy, offensive MB or player of the year in the NFL, potentially on his way to Canton, Ohio. I know you thought he'd be good. You wouldn't have picked him in the second round. But what kind of conversations go into a guy like that with his build and, and the wear and tear that, that he would take? You know, the, the, the conversations with Derek was, it was, I thought it was pretty simple from a scouting perspective. You look at his high school career, highly successful, ultra productive. He goes to college and really was patient and waited his time to become the guy. And when he did, he was highly productive, you know, very competitive, outstanding worker, all the qualities you want to bring in that bell cow of your offense someone that's going to kind of set the tone of your team. And when he came to the NFL, he sat behind a DeMarco Murray, kind of an alpha dog. DeMarco was an, was an alpha dog personality, really didn't want his reps taken, whether in games or practice. 
by Derrick Henry because he saw the talent that Derrick was bringing to the table. And what ended up happening is Derrick, within that patience that he acquired at, at Alabama with that stable of running backs they had, he was able to be patient and wait his time. And when he got it, he took off, and, and he never looked back. And that's the thing about Derek through the scouting process for a director or an area scout. It was such an easy evaluation. It was someone that I knew I could hang my hat on and say, at the very least, if we don't screw him up, if we don't you know, keep changing offenses on him, if we kind of structure things around him, he's going to be a very successful player because he's already proven that with his track record of success. So it was really kind of an easy evaluation. Now, the evaluation takes on more than just what you've seen in the past. And what you have to do is not screw him up coaching-wise, organization-wise, and put players around him to be successful. And, and the team started to build the offensive line and you know brought in some other players to take a little bit of pressure off of him, which made him really successful. Did I see a 2,000-yard back in him? No, I can't say that. I, that was such a hard thing. I watched Chris Johnson go through it with so many big, long runs that kind of created that 2,000 yards when he had it. I never thought Derek would really achieve that kind of success, but being what he was at Alabama and being what he was in high school, I could I could see that track record showing up in the NFL. I mean, I know all these names like on your website from Albert Hainsworth to Derek to Taylor Lewan to Vince Young, Javon Curse. You know, you're, you it wasn't just one person; it was, a, it was your whole staff. But two two thousand yard rushers, your staff, and you were a part of. I mean, I can't imagine anybody else can say that, right? No, I don't think there was a person. Somebody brought that up to me recently, and I said, you know, I don't, I, I'd have to go back and look if there was a, a director or, or scout that actually scouted two 2,000-yard rushers. I don't think that's happened, especially in today's football where everything is passing game. Uh, that That's kind of changed. It may not happen again for a long, long time until that cycle goes back to running the football a little bit more. Blake, you said it, and we've mentioned Trevor Lawrence this conversation prior here a little bit. Um, you know, and Jacksonville's excited for Trevor Lawrence. You start to hear the, you know, the experts, quote unquote, I say that obviously, where it's going to be Zach Wilson next or Justin Fields uh, after Trevor Lawrence. You know, I look at a guy like Vince Young, who obviously had the very promising college career, his rookie year in Tennessee, absolutely, I mean, kind of took the league by storm. And then, you know, with some injuries and obviously had some psychological issues as well, it just, it didn't work out, I'm sure, like anybody wanted for Vince Young. What's the hardest thing to really, I guess, grade on a quarterback coming from college to the pros to see, is this guy going to work out or not? Because obviously on film it's one thing, but like, what's the hardest part to gauge exactly how he's going to do? You know, I think that's a great question, and it's, a, it's an ever-moving answer for me. I've, I've gone back and self-scouted some of my evaluations that I've done on, on players, and Tom Brady was a great example of that, where I didn't have him very high. Like a lot of people, obviously, you know, 32 teams passed him up five different times, even the Patriots did, and then they ended up getting selected in the sixth round. So, you know, you get a player like that, and you start to look at his track record. We were talking about Derrick Henry. And you look at Tom Brady's track record going back to high school and the success he had not only as a football player but baseball player, getting drafted in baseball as a catcher. He goes to Michigan, and they continue to try to replace him. I remember Drew Henson, ultra you know, mm-hmm. pro, uh, prospect, went to play Major League Baseball, came back to Michigan, and they wanted him to be the, the quarterback. Tom Brady kept beating him out, winning ballgames. He goes to the NFL. He sits behind a Drew Bledsoe, and Drew got hurt. He gets his opportunity and never looked back. But his track record of success, whether it was at Michigan or high school, is something that I've really started to look at. And, you know, you have to have a whole team to have a winning team. But 
some of the success can be individual success. So when I'm looking at quarterbacks now, Trevor Lawrence is a great example. If I'm not mistaken, his high school record was 52-2. and two. And you look at his college record, I think he only lost two games in college. This guy's had a, a lot of success in a, in a long period of time, if you go back to high school and college. So will he have that success in the NFL? Track record is a great predictor of uh, future success, and I think that's a good opportunity to think that he's going to be a winner on that next level. So when you look at a quarterback like Trevor, I would take him because of the success he's had in the past and obviously the other talent that he brings to the table. Oh, do we hope so, Blake. Oh, man, do we hope so. Blake Bettingfield uh, from uh, Nashville, Tennessee. He was a director of college scouting and in the Tennessee organization for 19 years. Now you can check him out at bettingfieldsports.com. That's Bettingfield with two Ds. Uh, let me keep you for just two more minutes if we can. Uh, sure. The, how lucky do you have to get in your business and to that point, I think, listen, you can look at measurables and watch a guy on tape and like, oh, that guy's good. But I'm talking from the personality side, uh, whether it's what Tennessee's dealing with and has been with Isaiah Wilson uh, to what the Jags have done with uh, Justin Blackman to a Telvin Smith. And the list goes on long and long. You know, you just you just don't know some things um, or can you vet and do teams vet enough about that, or do they just take chances sometimes on people's the motivation, drive, upbringing, whatever it might be? I don't know those things that don't say six foot three, runs a four two, uh, two hundred and twenty pounds. You know, you have to take your blinders off at times, and, and not just look, like you said, look at that, those physical attributes and say. Ignore the other things, the red flags that continue to pop up. And, you know, we took a player uh, in my time, a Pac-Man Jones. We knew exactly what we were getting. I mean, there was no mistake there were going to be issues when he came to Tennessee. No mistake. But the blinders were on because we needed a corner. We needed somebody with some athleticism. And there were people that thought in the building that they could, could kind of control him or, or, or help him out. Those things usually don't happen when you become a pro. It just doesn't. Some people mature, no doubt about it, and I've seen examples of that. But a lot of times those type situations that they had growing up or had in college are going to even be more amplified on the on the NFL level. And you see those players like that. And, and sometimes it's players that have kind of, um, you know, maybe came out with a, you know, a, a better uh, personality, a better reputation, and then kind of went the wrong direction when some money got in their pocket and, and a lot of people hanging on that they that, that, that didn't need to really be around. So there are things that are created on the NFL level, but a lot of that, if you vet them well enough, if you do a good enough job of scouts, I always say as a scout, half your job is evaluation and the other half is private eye. You've got to go and find everything about this player, how they are in the locker room, how they are in the meeting rooms, but how they are when they go home. How are they when, they, when they're all when they're away from the facility. And I think that's so important. So 50% of your job is evaluation. The other half is being a private eye. Blake, I love the analogy of you get, sometimes you got to put the blinders on, per se. And and i got to ask you this question. Back in 2009, 2010, uh, did you watch any Murray State film or <laughs> were the blinders on? I can't believe I didn't ask on? this question. Or were the blinders on the whole time with that? <laughs> you know what? I love Murray, Kentucky. I, I'll say this. You know, I'm a, I'm a Southern guy. I grew up in Alabama. I've been living in Nashville for a long time. And, I love Murray, Kentucky. I always enjoyed that drive. And, and I'll tell you what, Murray had a lot of players. And then they had this one big, lanky defensive end. 
uh, that, that everyone in the NFL had to go see. And uh, I remember going up there and watching him practice multiple times and, uh, and actually caught a game and uh, really liked him, especially for our team at that time. We were a 4-3 team with uh, defensive ends that were, were rushers primarily. And, you know, he really fit. And, you know, when he went to Jacksonville, it was kind of we knew we were going to see him, you know, twice a year. And but he was a player that we had on our board and, and would have taken for sure. All right. What's your, so did, did you ever visit with the Titans? Austin Lane. I didn't visit with them, but I mean, I, I talked to a scout. At the you combine. did? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. uh, what, what would, like, your, your scouting notes have said <laughs> about Austin Lane? Future radio host? <laughs> Pretty much. A uh, few, few years in the league. Current like MMA fighter, audible chocolate voice. I think was the first thing on that note. <laughs> you know, I remember I said he was a really nice guy that uh, you know would probably do well outside of football. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> he, was, he was a really good football player. He had that mm. one trait that we're all looking for. He had a pass rush trait that we always look for, and they're they're still looking for today. And I remember Austin Lane, and it's funny that uh, when I when I um, knew I was coming on with him, but I started to, to reflect back going to Murray, Kentucky, because uh, I love those days of, of going to those schools. Uh, those small school guys tough though. Seriously, uh, are they tough to scout? No, I think they're the best. When you go to a school like Murray, you're looking at one or two players only that are going to be on the NFL level. You know, you go to Florida State or Florida, you're looking at 15. And I I enjoy looking at those one and two. I love spending more time with the coaches, and they really give you a lot more um, personable, uh, down-to-earth type type information about their player because they really care. You know, when you go through a factory like Florida, Florida State, Alabama – you know, that they're used to that every year. And I love that Murray, Kentucky, or, or wherever, you know, those small schools. We've taken a number of small school players. Cortland Finnegan came out of Sanford and different players. And That's they really right. just love when scouts come on campus and, and evaluate their players. That's good stuff. Blake Bettingfield, uh, let's do it again before the draft uh, because i got about 15 more questions. But, sorry, we already kept you longer than we promised. No problem. Anytime. I can talk football all day. I uh, appreciate it, appreciate man. It, man. Uh, Bettingfieldsports.com. Check it out. Blake Bettingfield. Thanks, man. Have a great day. You bet. You too. All right. Uh, that's pretty cool. That's good a stuff. Of, well, I, I can't believe I didn't bring of, that up. I forgot about a, a, a lot of nice words about Murray State, man, and I appreciate it. Ashland would never. I, I think, by Ashland the way, what he was never. saying, the trait. I don't know if he ever said the tr- the one trait. I think he's probably talking about motor. Yeah, yeah, I right. assume so. Yeah. Uh, because that was probably high on the list of scouts. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that'd be that'd be gold if I could get his notes. Careful now, Brent. Careful now. I need somebody's notes. Like <laughs> that was interesting. He said tall Mids and do, lanky. Would you would you have been described as tall and yeah. lanky? Oh yeah. Um, from from the reports that were passed down to me, he has to uh, improve on his lower frame. Really? Which, which means that yeah, I was I was lighting the ass, as they say. <laughs> Can I say that? I said it. Whatever, whatever. Now nah, I like yeah, that. That's that a good that. description. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, yeah. So they they basically pick you though, and they're like, okay, we're gonna add some weight to him. Yes, correct. Now, obviously, but, in a different mind, way than Kansas City. Kansas City tried to add, but so too much weight, probably. Correct. Right? But how crazy was this? Like, I was two hundred and I think sixty eight pounds at the combine. Really? So like that, that much? Well, that goes to like how much the game has changed. Because no nobody would ever think of a 245, 250-pound kid playing defensive end in a 4-3 back then. And now that's, like, the thing. Now I mean, yeah, you don't almost even... almost like prototypical. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, for sure. For, for sure. Yeah. How about that? Uh, that was good stuff with Blake. Interesting. That's fun. How about that? I, you know, it didn't hit me until we're talking about it. He's got Derrick Henry and Chris Johnson, 2,000 yards. And, yeah. again, I, I don't just – he deserves some credit, but I'm sure it's a whole staff. It's a fascinating thing. 
And we'll have Blake on again, talk a little bit more about what the Jags might be looking for. they got 11 selections yep. and breaking down the uh, process, but we appreciate him coming out. That Check was out awesome. bettingfieldsports.com. We'll be back. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Brent Martineau. This is an email. Why is WWE wrestling not being shown on Friday night? Austin Lane. Thank you very much. Read it right now. Read it right now. This I could just be did. Why oh, is WWE? That's, that's it. I that's mean, it? that's why I thought. I don't know. I mean, Roman's yeah. only five. I don't know how many sentences he can make. Yeah, Smart some, kid. Somebody but... might have proofread it for him. <laughs> Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. I, I've never talked about it. Um, I don't talk about it. I don't believe in it. Um... You know, we all need more record. I mean, this is a, a, a fast turnaround from last season, uh, and we all wish we could have more rest. But, you know, I'm here to work, and I'm here to, to, to punch my clock in and be available to my teammates. And, and if I'm hurt um, or if I'm not feeling well, um, then um, we can look at it then. But um, I have nothing but honest people around me, but I'm also honest with myself as well. And, um, you know, me having the love for the game, um, and me being able to be available to my teammates is more important than anything. I think we know who that one is, Brent. That is LeBron. Good call. Do you empathize at all with the NBA guys when it comes to rest right now? No, I'm, serious. No, I'm not trying to criticize. I mean, they're coming off a no, short hey. season. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, a, a, a longer season. Yeah. So they have a shorter off season. No. And... It's funny, you know, I thought I would kind of be critical of the NBA guys for talking like this. I I do empathize with them. We're asking those guys to be at their best 82 times or whatever the games yeah. are, you know. We they people pay and if if LeBron James isn't good one night, then we we rip him. We do. Right? That's true. That's and true. so when he's great, we applaud him, but when he's not, he's off and he's airballing from half court or whatever. Yeah. Well, then I I really changed my tune on this cuz I'm a guy like I'm like sleepy or whatever. But the more you talk to people, right, seriously, and, and a lot of people, I'm late to this party, I understand. Yeah. But, like, I've had conversations with so many Jags players and people inside the building. They just, the value of sleep for a professional athlete especially, right? Yeah. The value of sleep for a college kid sleeping 12 hours, I, I can debate. But the value, the, the value of sleep for a pro athlete, yeah. you know, somebody performing, uh, and, and quite frankly all of us, but I think is is big. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I I empathize a little bit more with recovery. And now that the science and data backs it up and um, listen, I understand they're getting paid a lot, but they're getting paid a lot to be scrutinized a lot, too. And if you're going to be scrutinized then you want to be at your best and if being at your best means rest up, I, I kind I get where LeBron and, and some of the NBA guys are coming from. You can't squeeze everything in. You can't alter play. You can't lose the integrity of the sport or the integrity of the athlete just to make sure you get enough gates and enough games on TV at a certain time. I think we already do that to sports anyway because everything caters around TV and how much the dollar is going to be. I think you'll be a little careful of it. No, you do. And listen, I mean, the NBA has the most empowered athletes um, in sports, I feel like. And still, the NBA has to make sure that, you know, health is the, the number one priority, not ratings not ticket sales it's, it's it's health so i get what lebron's saying there and, and i respect it no doubt about it because this year is different obviously right anytime you add um something that's different to a formula where you're a creature of habit we're used to doing something a certain time of year uh yeah it could throw things out of whack but at the same time i also follow hockey and i follow the nhl so there you go that's take that for how you want yeah uh, taxing i understand yes uh, how many times do they play in a week? 
I think like three. Is Two it? or three? Yeah. 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 I don't know. Like, again, I don't know what the amount of rest is. I'm just saying, hey, if LeBron James tell me. Now, listen, LeBron James is also older. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, he yeah, needs yeah. more rest. For sure. So I, I, I kind of get it. I think a lot of this also has spawned off LeBron and the players in general being upset with the All-Star game and how that was originally scheduled to be a few days off for them mm-hmm. before the second half of the season. You know, they told him, hey, you know, at some point we'll give you a week to take a break. You know, you're essentially in a bubble of your own and we'll give you a week to just get away from everything, reset, rest for players that need it and then come back. And then halfway, not even like a month before, they're like, Actually, we're going to throw an all-star game in there. Okay, so here's the thing, all right? To answer your question, it's usually four times a week teams are playing Isn't that in the much? NHL. Yeah. So, but here's the thing now, okay? The If you're going to force them to play this and you're going to do that and you couldn't come to an agreement, whatever. If, if the players are mad and the NBA is saying we're doing the all-star game, deal with it. Mm-hmm. Then, and, and I'm not saying the NBA does complain about this, but just be ready at the tail end of the year for a, a – Load management. They hate that phrase. Yes. The NBA does. Oh, yeah. But be ready. be ready for load management then. Mm-hmm. Because whether it's the last 10 games of the season for somebody like the Lakers might not even matter. You know, who will see? We'll see how much matters. But you can't complain if if the coach thinks it's in the best interest or the player thinks the best interest to get ready for the postseason, which also is, by the way, very long and drawn out. Yeah. That's... Uh, if the best thing to do is rest. So you can't have it both ways if you're the NBA as well. No, I agree with that. For um, sure. So we'll see we'll see what happens uh when it comes to load management. Load management. It's become such a it's so funny the phrases that uh come to hey, mind. You, you and me? Never, huh? We're no load management. Yeah, we're we're warriors, working in the man. morning show. Yeah. This afternoon you're gonna I go you, man. fight tonight. Yeah, man. Ain't no I mean, load management load going management. on over here. We talking about I mean I it's supposed to be a day get off from TV. Get I got a hat on. Talk about now I got to leave in two minutes to go downstairs and do right? TV on the yep. Tiger Woods story. Do you get extra like hazard pay for that? <laughs> hazard no. pay, he goes. Uh, right? Tiger Woods, by the way, um, non-life-threatening injuries. That phrase has now come out from ESPN. From ESPN. Uh, I think, and listen, I don't want to misquote, but I believe it was supposed non-life-threatening Okay, injuries. because again, I think what was pretty significant about the statement from Steinberg, the agent for Tiger Woods, is that he said multiple leg injuries in this crash, but he did not say non-life-threatening. Yeah. And, and that, I, I think when you're talking about leg injuries, I don't, I don't, uh, envision life-threatening injuries so maybe he didn't have to say it but if you look at the vehicle and you look at you know that accident that looked really bad Mm -hmm. so uh so this i I think we would be getting more from the life-threatening part so right now like it's not even in my mind that it's a life-threatening thing because again they mentioned multiple leg injuries and in surgery Maybe just like you said at the top of the show, if you're going to go right into surgery, you can't rule out anything. Mm -hmm. So that's why maybe the statement doesn't say that. Yeah, and I'll be honest, though. I'm trying to find the statement now, and I don't know if they deleted it, but I can't find that exact statement. So, well, maybe maybe not then. So, again, I don't don't think we're going to get a lot of information on the Tiger Woods front. Yeah. um, After that statement. Again, the age... Tiger Woods agent, Mark Steinberg, Tiger Woods was in a single car accident this morning in California. He suffered multiple leg injuries. He's currently in surgery. We thank you for your privacy and support. Yeah, that's it. That's all it said. So 
Um, hopefully it's not life threatening, but there was not that phrase. And usually that phrase exists. Mm-hmm. So we are we continue to wait. Meanwhile, there's reaction coming in on the Tiger Woods front from everywhere uh, from the Masters. The Masters just tweeted moments ago. Tiger Woods, part of the Augusta National family. The news of the accident is upsetting to all of us. We pray for him for his full recovery for his family during this uh, difficult time uh the players championship uh the pga tour excuse me has also released a statement we've been made aware of tiger woods car accident today we are awaiting further information when he comes out of surgery on behalf of the pga tour and our players tiger is in our prayers we'll have our full support as he recovers i saw justin thomas uh reaction as well and he's really had thoughts with the kids so there's a lot of reaction coming on the tiger woods front so the score um is reporting that there's some good there's some good news on the tiger woods condition they shared a quote from lieutenant michael white uh, of the L.A. County Sheriff's Department saying that Tiger Woods' injuries are non-life-threatening. Okay, so that's from the uh, police. That's from the L.A. County Sheriff's okay. Office. Okay. Um, well, that's good. Yes. So, uh, so at least somebody has it, and that's from an official. That's, I mean, yeah, that's from the score. It's, you know, the check mark and everything. I don't know how okay. much we get into the score here. but uh, Well, it's probably from a lot of other places, yeah, yeah. and they just picked it up. Yep. Um, but... Here's the, the the thing about Tiger Woods. Obviously, it's such a big story right now. In fact, I'm going to go run down TV on CBS 47 and Fox 30 and do something. We'll have team coverage on it on TV, too. Uh, but, you know, it's, we'll see how this shakes out. And there's I just don't want to jump ahead to what does this mean for golf for Tiger? You know, I don't know. Well, I mean, okay. that's where we it's go. It's a whole though, bunch right? of speculation. Yeah, my mind goes there. I'm just telling you, being yeah. honest. Well, my mind goes there. Okay, yeah, yeah. what does this mean? Sure. Let's first of all, is he He's okay? okay. Yes. Right? Is he uh, come out of surgery and is okay? Uh, all of those things. Does he, um, you know, obviously the family and the kids uh, come to mind, right? Because our images now of Tiger, the most recent one, are with his son Charlie yeah. and with his kids uh, at Augusta celebrating. You know, those are that's now ingrained in us. Mm. But I, I'd be lying if I then said, okay, what does this mean for golf? Like, I mean, we love Tiger Woods, the golfer. Like, we, Tiger Woods, we've had debates over all the demons he's had and the just some of the issues that's plagued him for a decade and plus. Uh, uh, you know, you, you, people have been critical of even the way he was raised. All these documentaries are out now, yeah. all of these things. But we all know this. We love watching Tiger Woods play golf. Yep. And selfishly, we wonder when, okay, is that going to happen again? Well, I just hesitate to have the conversation because we know he's in surgery and has multiple leg injuries. I, I don't know how to frame that around, well, I think he'll be back playing golf in six months. I, I don't. Yeah. I can, well, you know this. He's not playing golf at the Players' Championship, which he might not have anyway because of the back injury. And he's not playing golf at this year's Masters. No. And he might not have been anyway because of the back injury. But now this looks more like a long-term um, thing with no golf. And I think we will have questions maybe by the end of the week even, uh, assuming there's nothing more serious than whatever already is serious, if he ever does golf again. Like, I think those conversations will come. I just am a bit hesitant to do it right now. Uh, We'll be back. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. A little football at 5 coming up on the way.